And a very good morning to you today on the programme. We're looking at a land grab in the city as well today. We're just working on that as we go to here. We're looking at Gort and the stench that continues down there. And people are getting quite irate about that. Today we're going live to Turkey shortly just to see what can we do here on the west coast of Ireland and in Ireland to help those less well off following that earthquake. We're also looking extensively on today's programme just in this hour on knife culture in Galway. First off, we'll give you some statistics and we'll also then be speaking. Our colleague David Nevin spoke to some people on the streets of Galway. That and more between on 12 midday. Our text line is 86 3 with thanks to Rationale Windows. You can call us on 091 77 A very good morning to you. Hey, very good morning, Chief. If you do want to get in contact with us, please uh, feel free to do so straight away today on any of those numbers. Now, I want to go to Fiona Gannon, who's Concerns Regional Director uh, for uh, Southern Turkey. But bodies of people killed in the earthquake in uh, Southern Turkey on Monday are being left out in the streets as the hunt continues for survivors. More than 7,000 people are known to have died in Turkey and northern Syria, uh, which was also devastated in this quake. And the United Nations has warned that thousands of children may be among the dead as well. It really is a tragedy of tragedies and the weather is extremely cold over there. But Fiona joins me on the line today. Fiona, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? God above, when we when we went to sleep on Saturday evening or Saturday night stroke Sunday and to wake up then to this is quite, quite shocking. And there's very little we can do. Or what can we do, Fiona? I think I think the best we can do is offer our our support to um, to people on the ground. Um, Concern of have an appeal running, um, and people can contribute that way. We have we have teams on the ground. They were obviously <laughs> woken up themselves at four o'clock in the morning with with the earthquake. Um, and responded immediately. They were they were so active. We're very proud of them, really, um, and got to work straight away, starting to distribute blankets and food and water to families that were affected. Um, our estimates are that there's nearly four hundred thousand people across the region that are made homeless as a result. They're sleeping in cars. They're sleeping on the streets. They're in shopping malls. They're um, in community centres, etc. Um, and they're in dire need of clothing, of warm blankets and heaters. So our teams are on the ground starting to distribute and um, provide that help to people. Were they there and anyway, also, Fiona? Were they were, were they on they site? Were, they were, yeah. Because exactly. of the Syrian our, side our, of it, is it? And, and, and our team have been working in Turkey since 2013. Um, when the Syrian refugees started to cross into Turkey, yeah. So yeah, our, our teams have been in the region, you know, for nearly ten years now at this stage. So they're well experienced and and know the region really well. So, but this is something that they were they were dealing with their own families and you know mm. they you know their own relatives. You know, obviously, um, you know they were coping with that. But I'm I'm just in awe of how they've been able to put that to one side and focus on, on helping others. It's extraordinary. 
but they're not immune though from this because their families could not, be affected by it as well. I yeah, mean, and again, not, not you, you would yeah. hire a lot of staff on the ground over there, locals on the ground. Absolutely, but yeah. Absolutely, but I mean, this yeah. this came, pardon the pun, but this just came out of the blue altogether. It's not, absolutely. it's not like any other um, situation that we find ourselves in, be it war or otherwise. This was an act of God or an act of whatever you call it. It was an earthquake that happened, exactly. happened very quickly, yeah. four seventeen in the morning. And the devastating yeah, damage that yeah. it's done has just been... I know Turkey has been susceptible to them when I was there many years ago. And I remember being in an airport and an earthquake was happening or the rumblings of an earthquake. Um, and it's, it was quite frightening. So I can only imagine the magnitude of this one. It's the, the worst know, in 100 years. And what it did to these people. I mean, their whole lives have been turned yeah. upside down and so much loss of Absolutely. life. So much loss of life, so much damage, and I mean, our 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 experts on the ground are telling us that, you know, the the government have declared nearly eleven thousand buildings. So these would be high rise buildings, you know, um, uh, blocks of apartments, etc., um, as damaged. But there'll probably be many, many thousands more declared unfit for for people to be able to return to. So it's going to last months in terms of trying to get people, you know, into safe and warm and comfortable, mm. um, you know, housing. And that's going to last a long time. Obviously, the shock and the and the, and the the trauma is obviously another factor that has to be taken into account. You know, there's an awful lot of... Uh, I suppose in these days, people are, are coping and they're trying to help help each other. Um, but I think it'll be next week when the kind of the reality sets in of what's really happened, you know. And again, just because it's an earthquake, um, is it an all-agency approach from an Irish point of view? Or are you just, um, it's just concern indeed that that are on the ground out there, or Throker or the other NGOs, are they, are they all, can there be a collective approach to this, I wonder, like previous crises? Yeah, I mean, I, I, like there's, 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 there's a great deal of collaboration and coordination where we're sharing information, we're sharing whatever we can share. Um, I think we're, we're in slightly different geographical areas, but um, yeah, there'd be a great deal of cooperation and collaboration and sharing resource or whatever we have with one another, um, sharing information. Um, and if one one agency has supplies and another needs them, you know, there'd be a lot of that kind of cooperation and collaboration happening. So to make a donation, they can go to the Concern website and just make a donation from there. How quickly, I know you have some reserves in that. So, I mean, if somebody donates 10 euro now, um, you have reserves, but it'll back up the reserves from there. But how quickly can you get more aid or more supplies uh, yeah. on the ground in Turkey? Our our teams are, are buying up everything they can um, and have been um, buying blankets, mattresses, um, heaters for the last number of days. So it's fairly instant. Uh, if someone gives us money here, we can, you know, we're, we have pre-positioned money and pre-positioned as much as, as much in terms of supplies as we can. And um, yeah, distributing as much as possible. One issue a little bit is at the moment is just a shortage of, of key supplies like blankets. Because mm. everybody wants the same thing, but we're 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 looking into getting uh, emergency stocks uh, potentially brought in from outside the region just to support that until uh, the markets get get open again. 
And I was reading on the uh, Guardian this morning, there was an article in relation to it where they shut down one of the local airports purely to fly in supplies uh, from the government yeah, from all yeah. over Turkey. And Turkey is a very big yeah, country. Exactly. But they shut down the airport very big country. For, yeah. for 24 hours yeah. just to get supplies in. So they, the, the government there have reacted very well as well. Um, Very well, yeah. They're incredibly um, organised, and, and as you say, it's a very sophisticated country with, you know, great um, supply chains, etc. So they can they can really mobilise, you know, um, huge resource. I guess we're also thinking about um, families and and communities affected across the border in inside Syria and northern Syria, and I think I've heard that described as a crisis on top of a crisis. I think that's a very apt description of what's happening in there. So it that becomes more challenging. There's uh, very uh, limited options in terms of crossing the border, um, and that border post I think is clo- it was certainly closed yesterday. So it's difficult to move supplies into that region. So um, the families in there are also really struggling and 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 suffering at the moment. But I mean, Syria was. Um Syria itself uh, and the border with um, Turkey, the tension there has been has been woeful for a long time. But it was very difficult to get aid into Syria because it's such a difficult country and such a it's just torn apart. So it is that whole country. So, I mean, obviously, whatever can be done on the European, the Turkish side of it, uh, and if it can filter into Syria, so be it. Uh, but it's the same ethos there on getting aid into Syria, or can you get it into Syria? Yeah, I mean, it, it is possible into that pocket uh, in the northwest from Turkey, but it's not possible really from other parts of Syria, uh, tragically, and, and would because this, of the conflict. And will the Syrian government or those in charge in Syria, will, will there be any lightening up of the regime that they have to allow aid in? I, I think there's an awful lot of um, uh, discussions exactly on that point happening at the political level. Um, and I think people are asking them to put politics and conflict aside, given the scale of this uh, humanitarian disaster. Yeah. Um, See, on one, on one yeah, side, on we'll one see. side, on one side, we have the Ukrainian war continuing, and that's a human decision. Exactly. And on the other yeah. side, here again, not too far away, down in Turkey, uh, we have uh, yeah. this, this tragedy unfolding, which was an act of God exactly. or an act of. of, of Whatever. Nature. Uh, of, of <laughs> yeah. which? What would you call an act of which? Nature, I was yeah, saying. Nature, yeah. Theology, yeah. Um, so yeah. an act of nature. So on one side, one, you know, so you have, you have human on one side, nature on the other side, uh, and yet they, they both need urgent, urgent assistance. And let's hope that the people get it because they're a lovely nation. They're a lovely bunch of people. Um, they're exactly, a lovely, they have exactly. a lovely country. So it's warm a lovely, and welcoming and... Yeah, 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 no, just it's, it's a very difficult time now for, for uh, Turkish people and Syrian people. Fiona, again, when I started talking to you, I mentioned 7,000 people are known to have died. Uh, we just got an update, 9,500 it is. Um, 9,500, yeah. 9, 000, I mean, the, the WHO estimate yesterday were 20,000. Um, I mean, like, I hope it doesn't reach that, but it's, uh, you know, I, I, there's still a lot of Areas that have been unserved and and under underreached, let's say, because of difficulty with access with roads and and everything else. So, yeah, um, yeah the, I, I think unfortunately that'll rise. And there's uh, within that story in the Guardian today, um, there was a story of um, a young child that was born. The 
child was saved and the mother died. I mean, really and truly. I know, I know, the tragedy, it's just shocking, yeah. So she gave birth uh, while she was trapped in, in a building, she gave birth. So, 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 yeah. Li- yeah. so life began for the baby, and God loved that baby now. But that baby God was saved, baby. and they, yeah. co- they couldn't yeah. save her, they couldn't get her out to save her. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's extraordinary, it's extraordinary. I mean, to be the honest, human you, tragedy of it all. Yeah. you couldn't write it, nobody could write what we're talking about, somewhere. you couldn't. <gasps> No, Listen. no, absolutely, no, it's shocking now and, 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 and very difficult for the teams on the ground, you know, coping with that and dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Listen, um, Fiona Gannon, keep strong and your team keep strong and we'll be talking Thank about others involved in this. If you can go to the Concern website, it's easy enough to make a donation and uh, do so straight away. Fiona Gannon will get it onto the, not her, but I mean her team will get it directly onto the ground over there. And again, just spare a prayer so in, that's it all, Fiona. Spare a prayer in whatever religion you have or non-religion you have. Uh, spare a positive thought for um, uh, the people involved in that. Now we have a lovely uh, promotion running all of this week, so we have, and you could also be in with the chance to win uh, from Mylands Florist on the Tume Road in Montbellu, a 75 euro bouquet of flowers at Mylands uh, Florist in Montbellu. They have all the flowers to suit all tastes and budgets. As uh, so I make Valentine's Day one to remember with this stunning bouquet of flowers, uh, our roses from Mylands, available on mylandsflorist.ie and Yvonne and the team down there uh, will look after you. But who means uh, the uh, world to you? Your boyfriend, girlfriend, life partner, your mum, your dad, your brother, your best friend. Uh, but who would you be lost without? Now, we want to mark Valentine's Day this year by giving that someone important in your life a token of your regard and love as well. Throughout Monday, we'll be giving away beautiful bouquets and a menswear voucher. And if you'd like to enter our draw, you can do so and register now. So to enter, you can WhatsApp us, add the word love and your name in the name of the person that you would like um, and means the world to you. You can tune in on Monday next to see who wins what. And we have a special Valentine's treat uh, to be won as well. A one night's B&B for two in Galway's Hidden Gems which is a hidden gem at Moycarn Lodge and Marina in Port Nick in Ballinasloe. And all entries go forward for a Valentine's Day draw as well. So you have two chances uh, to win. So what you have to do is text the word love uh, plus your name and the name of the person that means the world to you. And you text it straight away to 086 38 33 That's our new number. Just write it down. We don't have any other numbers. Uh, on that 086 38 33 do so straight away and there'll be one winner per show selected on Monday the 13th and all entries go forward to Tuesday's draw for the weekend away as well so uh, who means the world to you and no staff member of Galway BFM uh, can be named in that as in you can't say Johnny Richards or John Morley or anybody like that so pick the one in your life please we're back after these. We're looking at knife culture in Galway next. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie. Hey, very good morning to you. Welcome in to today's programme. So now we are to, to today's programme. 385 knife, knife crimes, as in knife, not knight, and a KNIFE uh, crimes were reported in Galway since 2016. Luke Sick will join us uh, shortly on this, but statistics uh, secured by Aintho show that 385 knife crimes were reported to Gardaí in Galway Division since 2016. So bearing that in mind, our colleague in the newsroom, David Nevin, went into Air Square yesterday and uh, spoke to people about knife crime. And uh, this is what they feel about Galway. Definitely. 
most definitely especially if you live in the Baia slash Baliban areas because um I think it is something you should be worried about you can't predict it you know like it just yeah it can just catch you out of nowhere especially uh -huh. when people in this jumping culture I absolutely hate jumping culture because someone could pull out a knife and no one would know what to do you know if you run this way if you run that way okay it's like there's no escaping it you know and when it comes to knives obviously all it takes is half a second for someone to be very seriously injured yeah exactly and like you can make and you can make a knife out of anything you know you can use a razor blade you can use a kitchen knife you can you know you can use an eyebrow razor for god's sake you know like it's just everywhere and there's no escaping it and you mentioned um two areas i think baliban was one and you mentioned another as well um is this something you kind of seen around those areas yeah like i feel like in baya and baliban there's lots of young people living around there and they're more influenced to join gangs and to commit knife crime so i feel like if you're living in these areas then you might be more at risk to be a subject to knife crime and why why do you think um young men might carry knives is it kind of peer pressure or they want to kind of impress other people i feel like it's very much to impress other people because but it depends at the same time like i feel like some people they get influenced to join gangs by their friends or by older people to look cool or whatever and they don't really know like realize what they're getting themselves into and then they'll end up in a hospital bed or you know injured i think everyone is definitely concerned in some degree if you aren't then that's just a little bit odd but I mean yeah it's like you hear about it or sometimes I think we've seen it we've seen it once in Galway City after a night out yeah. and yeah definitely one of those situations you don't want to really see or never mind be in so I'm not really sure it could they say it's you know societal roles peer pressure you know involved in gangs and I'm personally I'm not too sure about how to fix that kind of thing but I suppose just like I mean, schools can only do so much as well and parents can only do so much. So it's just overall, I suppose, society pressures in like what you should do, who you should be a part of and being different. People might want to act out on that for a certain reason. So definitely concerned, yes. And if I was to ask you in a general sense, like here in Galway, would you feel fairly safe on the streets? Do you think Gardaí are doing a good job as well in terms of kind of keeping a handle on crime? In general, I usually don't have too much of a problem, but I've had some certain like... Um, older generation people come into me where I work and they say they don't feel safe walking around Galway anymore and it makes me sad because Galway is a beautiful city it's amazing but you do worry that like you know sometimes you know if I'm walking home I might do a little do a little look back or just you know we might text one of my friends or whoever like oh I'm going here I text you when I'm there that kind of way so I suppose to be sure to be sure no harm in being safe than sorry but I feel like, I mean, guards sometimes they're there when you don't need them to be and then when there's actually something happening, they're nowhere to be seen, so. And when you mentioned there about Gardaí kind of being around when you, you don't need them, um, would your experience be of like being around, say, the city later at night? Would you would you find that Gardaí don't really have a visible presence? Yes, I would say so, yeah. Like, they're, they're more vigilant during the day or when there's a... Uh, when there's there's one there is there oh there you go <laughs> but they're only driving god knows what they're at they're, they're they're here during the day when there's not really anything going on like a protest they're there when people are just standing there talking but when there's actually like something going on not too particularly or so someone might actually call the guards and then they might not show up and it's too late by then yeah for sure for sure especially if you're walking around with the family you know what i mean and uh, you're going out for evening out galway is usually nice and quiet but 
it's picked up a lot, the, the incidents that are happening, you know what I mean? The snatch and grabs and the, the threatening with the knives and things like that, you know what I mean? It's a sad thing to happen in Galway, you know. Um, I know in Hull, in the general, in the island, there is a bad vibe, but, um, yeah, we've got to stop this, like, you know what I mean? We've got to step up and talk about it and, and do something about it, like, you know what I mean? It's like everything else that's happening, you know. It's very sad that the way Galway is such a beautiful interracial uh, county is like going through this, you know what I mean? Sad times, like, you know what I mean? But yeah, Nick Ross all the way from Johannesburg, South Africa, 10 years here. Yeah, I love this place, man. But uh, yeah, we need to stand up and we need to stand up for ourselves, like, you know what I mean? Ireland first, like, you know what I mean? No violence, no racism, no nothing. We just want peace. We want love, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Peace, peace and harmony, really. Well, yeah, for sure, like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, that's the way out, like, you know what I mean? Respect. Because I see a lot of respect has gone out of the door, like, you know what I mean? But I've been turning around and letting ladies go into the bus first, where before the young ladies would jump in, like, hey, guys, ladies here. There's a lady with a pram. Come on now. You know what I mean? Ah, oh, shut up, you knob. You know what I mean? That's how it is, like, but... It'll, it'll change, you know what I mean? But the knife crime, yeah, it's definitely increased, uh, especially in Ireland, and it's a sad thing very sad you know what I mean I feel for the families that you know I've, I've heard about eyes being stabbed and cheeks and throats and everything it's sad like you know what I mean so yeah we've got to stand up for ourselves and go for it like you know what I mean and come out with an action group called stop the knife attacks you know what I mean all the guard are gonna have to step up and we're sick and tired of this we are absolutely sick and tired of it you know what I mean if you ask the old people the old people will tell you like you know what I mean Nicholas Galway has changed since the girl got shot in the eye here at the bus stop with a firecracker. Do you remember that time? What a sad, sad thing to happen to a, a good person who was just waiting for a bus to go home. And can I ask then, you said you're from uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. Um, that's a place uh, there would be quite a high level of, of, of violent crime. Uh, what would your, your own experiences have been uh, living there? Oh, well, I was doing armed response. I was uh, responding to factory alarms shop alarms, I was in a shootout, I've been in a shootout, I've been hijacked, I've had an attempted hijack, um, I've seen dead bodies, I've seen everything, like, you know what I mean? Knife crime in Africa is nothing compared to, you know what I mean, hijackings and everything, you know what I mean? But um, knife, guns, wires, anything, anything, you know what I mean? It's, it's Crime is bad. You know? Beautiful country, don't get me wrong, South Africa, beautiful country, like, but... Um, it's just gone down like I grew up in Rhodesia which then became Zimbabwe and mom and dad went back to England and uh, I grew up in Africa which was then apartheid and I wasn't allowed to play with a black person until 1994 when Nelson Mandela stepped in then all of a sudden everything was alright and then corruption just hit and look at it now you know what I mean no lights and water for nine hours a day you know what I mean I mean how do people survive how do businesses survive you know what I mean so yeah the crime in South Africa is bad like you know what I mean but it's it's all the same like different parts of the world have got different sections of level of crime you know what I mean and it's a sad thing crime you know what I mean I hate it eh? I hate crime eh? you know what I mean we witnessed it one time very scary experience but um it's kind of like a i wouldn't say it's like a norm but like at the same time i wasn't as surprised when i saw it because you know you always hear about it about from someone and all this type of stuff but no it's definitely something to be concerned about and it's definitely not enjoyable or anything like that to watch it like it's very scary in the moment so yeah and you mentioned there you saw one incident uh, involving a knife 
do you think overall Galway is somewhere you describe as a safe place to be at any time of the day, you know, day or night? I think, like, during the day, it's very safe, in my opinion. It's just, of course, during nighttime, like she said as well, um, uh, basically, like, they're there. They're, they're there when you don't need them and then they're not there when you do need them sometimes like there's situations where you need to call them and then they take like ages I remember it happened once it wasn't regarding that but like sometimes they just take forever and it's just like by the time they come it's just they're gone and it's just it's a shame really that they're not there when you need them but they're there with, like when nothing's happening they're always patrolling during the daytime like I've seen I've already seen three cars come around and yeah just and going back again to you mentioned that incident with the knife but like when, when that happened um, was that something you kind of thought to yourself oh my god I can't believe this is happening here in Galway or what did you think yeah like it was definitely something I've never seen before because I grew up in the countryside so like I, I've never seen anything like that before it was just it was just unbelievable to see but um, yeah it was just it was just crazy really David Nevin went out and about yesterday and got that uh, vox pop of people indeed which is quite staggering to be honest now the figure of 384 knife crimes as I started off by saying at the top of that piece was given to us by Luke Silk of Aintu he's been listening to that but he joins me on the line as well now Luke good morning to you Good morning, Keith. How Thanks are things? Thanks for joining us. I couldn't believe the figures when I was looking at it yesterday. Been 385 since 2016. Maybe I'm just the innocent one or the old one here. Uh, but then when you listen to that Vox Vop from Air Square yesterday, there's grave concern by some people about nighttime in Galway and the use of knives. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the um, I think Galway is changing, you know, and that seems to be the message that was coming through there from the streets. Now, when I was looking at these figures that were released to us, I was trying to see if there was a um, pandemic impact on them. And there actually doesn't seem to be. It seems it was spiking, like it spiked in 2019 when there was uh, 89 knife crimes reported in Galway in one year alone in 2019. And it has kind of dipped down a small bit again now, um, which is obviously good news. But no, it doesn't seem to be related to the pandemic. Um, and I suppose one thing that I would have noticed when I was working in Dublin last year in the Dáil, and I'm still I'm working remotely now, but when I used to go up, I'd often walk from Houston Station into, into Leinster House, into the city centre. Mm-hmm. And you'd see at the side of the road uh, or on the footpath, these drops of blood, um, kind of dried up blood from the night before, and you'd nearly be able to follow the trail of blood. And I often wondered what it was. I I still don't rightly know if it is an indication of knife attacks or if it is people doing doing drugs with needles and then bleeding afterwards as a result and wandering down the street. But definitely a very stark and sad image that stays with you. And then when you see it once, you're looking and you see it everywhere. Um, But I'd be very afraid that that Galway would go down that direction. You know, O'Connell Street is nearly a no-go area now in Dublin, even during the day. I wouldn't feel safe walking down it, especially if I was carrying something valuable like my laptop bag or something like that. I'd be very, very afraid. And I was thinking then, you know, there are streets in Galway, um, like one of your, um, one of the people there mentioned Ballyban, but even I think Boher Moor there, just near, across from TK Maxx, that stretch of road, I that's one area that I wouldn't go. And the reason I wouldn't go there is because I hear from so many of my friends stories of someone that was attacked there just walking home after a night out and someone jumped on them from behind and it is a kind of it's a shady area when you're walking down you'd be frightened and you'd see characters that would be shouting at one another and stuff like that Mm. So I think the solution really is more Gardaí like they were saying and more patrols It is, but I I suppose they're in a very 
Yeah, but to be honest, um, Luke, with all due respects to everybody, if somebody is going out at night time and they put a knife in their pocket, that's a crime. Because what are they going to use the knife for? They won't be cutting tobacco like they used in the olden days and grinding it in their hand and putting it into the pipe. So what else do you want a knife for? What is the intention of carrying a knife? Would you put a knife in your pocket going out at night time? I wouldn't. Absolutely not. So it, once you have it, 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 is not, it is then a weapon. So what we need to figure out is, can you be charged with whatever if you're found to be carrying a knife in your pocket? There's no use for a knife except to hurt someone else or defend yourself. Yeah. And in the statistics that were released to us as well, I suppose, um, there were other statistics on seizures. So now there wasn't a county by county breakdown on that. But the total number of knives seized um, between 2016 and 2021 in the whole country was 13,000. So that's quite a lot. And, you know, I'd love to know again as well if that's if they've been seized after the act or if these are people who were searched and maybe attacks and stabbings that were prevented. Um, but I definitely think, you know, we need um, we need a two pronged approach to this. So we need to be harder, tougher on crime. Um, and that's one thing that Ainthu would always say, that we need to be tougher on crime and we need more Gardaí. Um, but also, I think we have a role to play in terms of schools. You know, I often hear people saying that, you know, I could have gone down a very bad road in life only for I had a very good teacher. Yeah. Um, and I think drugs obviously would have a, a huge impact on this as well. Um, and I think one thing that could be done is, would say people now who, who used to be addicted to drugs or people maybe who used to be involved in crime but have managed to get themselves right, that those types of characters should be brought into every school in County Galway to talk about their experiences and talk about the dangers of drugs and crime and addiction um, and kind of present yeah. that, lay that out for the next generation that's coming up, do you know? Yeah, it might frighten them, but I mean, I, I, going back to the whole life culture side of things, I, I really and truly think that if somebody has, if somebody is stopped and searched by Angarthashiakona, any member of Angarthashiakona, and if they are carrying a knife, there should be some kind of sanction against them for carrying that knife. Because I go back to my opening statement on this. You do not put a knife in your pocket to go out at night time unless you're doing so for to defend yourself or indeed to use uh, to hurt somebody else. There's no other use for a knife. You can't open a bottle with a knife if you want to open bottles of beer down the Spanish arch. I mean, there is no reason for it. So Absolutely. Uh, Luke, thanks for that. You might try and figure out, can you get um, the seizures? You might try and see, can you get the seizure figures for Galway for knives as well? It would be interesting just to see from there. And just maybe I'm wrong. Am I wrong, Luke, with my thought process? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, well, it be would sure be interesting. So. I must try to reach out even just to Mill Street to see if they have any information on it or under what circumstances a knife would ordinarily be confiscated. Mm. Um, and what the process is it'd be very interesting to see that mm. I pr no I wouldn't be out late I'd never be out late I wouldn't be out after 9 o'clock half 9 at night time uh, even at a weekend I wouldn't be I find Galway quite safe I'm, I don't mind walking and I did last week uh, walk through Galway at 9 o'clock at night time and uh, headed off down picked up the car and went home to park down the black box uh, it doesn't bother me and uh, maybe later at night it would be I've never seen a knife I haven't seen drugs either I've smelt them but I haven't seen them um, so maybe it's the circle that I'm moving in but it does appear to be a fairly major problem. Uh, Luke, thanks for joining us uh, today. Luke Silk joining us there from Aintu. Uh, can I acknowledge receipt of a letter which um, a person sent in to me today with some very comprehensive details in relation to drugs and that. Uh, can I just acknowledge receipt of that, if you don't mind? And um, I don't know what to do with it. So I'm going to read it again after the programme. 
and we'll decide then what to do with it uh, from there. There's a lot of information within it about people indeed who have drug debt and what they're doing to clear that drug debt. Uh, it's quite a harrowing letter to read, but I want to acknowledge receipt of it. What I do with it, I actually don't know. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and Collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you. Hey, very good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. Keith, uh, this caller said, I was hoping that you can play a very special request uh, on Galway Talks uh, show with Keith Finnegan on Wednesday, the February the 8th. It's my mother, Anne Walsh's youthful 80th birthday on Wednesday. She's an avid listener to Galway Talks show and it would make her day if Keith Finnegan wished her a happy birthday. Uh, she's been a fantastic mother and grandmother and we wish her many more happy birthdays. And thank you from her children who are Susan, Sharon, Paul, Damien and Kevin. And uh, we got that in earlier today. We don't know where Anne Walsh is from. Uh, so Damien, if you get a chance, you might just let us know where um, Anne is from. 80 is birthday. See, 80... Are you listening to me? 80 is the new 40 now, you know. Certainly as I'm getting older anyway. So, um, and, and her youthful 80th birthday. Uh, happy birthday to you today. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy it. And uh, let's, uh, Susan, Sharon, Paul, Damien and Kevin, uh, respectively, let them absolutely spoil your rotten today. Let them fire the kitchen sink at you. Not literally now. They might just clear the sink first, Anne, if you don't mind for you. Uh, but enjoy it, Anne, and have a very happy birthday from all of your uh, family, Susan, Sharon, Paul, Damien and Kevin. Is she blushing, I wonder? Is she blushing? Has she turned red yet? And once we find out where she is, we can tell people they can go knock on the door and send her text messages and all of that. Anyway, let me move to uh, Stephen Canavan, who joins me from the IFA, and he joins me on uh, the line today. Stephen, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Thanks for joining us uh, today. You're having a gathering of uh, IFA sheep uh, farmers, indeed, in the Ordinary House Hotel at 8 o'clock uh, tonight. Um, again, you're looking at pricing and new sheep improvement schemes as well. Um, are you, you're hoping for good attendance, I take it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we should have no we should have no problem in that regard. You know, there's a lot of frustration among the sheep sector presently. And what is that frustration, but, Stephen? Prices well prices are significantly below what we expected and what the world this time last year. And input costs have gone through the roof. We spoke about this before in the past, like, you know, but they're they're, they're particularly relevant, I suppose, in the sheep sector because it, it's considered a, a low income sector. And and uh, the new sheep improvement scheme that the minister announced there earlier on in the year, and and uh, simply, it's simply, it, 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 it's it's uh, there isn't enough money in it. it it's it's underfinanced, and uh, I suppose I suppose it's called the sheep improvement scheme. And my members are finding it extraordinarily difficult to see where the improvement is going to come from. Okay, but, but Stephen, take me through um, where the problem is here. Um, is it the initial purchase price at the mart? Um, or where, where, because if you take what you're getting per animal and then what it's costing in the butcher or the supermarket or otherwise, I mean, somebody in the middle somewhere is making money. It would certainly would appear so. It certainly would appear so. You know, um, uh, I, suppose, I suppose this time of the year, anyways, there's there's two aspects to to, to, to to the lamb production. There's the guys that bred them initially and that keep them on to a finish, and there's the guys that sold them as store lambs and sold them to guys for for finishing. <clears throat> and um, 
you know, the price this time last year was, was, was I suppose, a euro or more, more than it is today. And meat costs are once and a half times what they were this time last year. Okay. So if you take, if you take, take 20 euro off the top end and add 20 euro off the bottom end, so we're... <laughs> You can see the problem there immediately, like you know. So, what would a regular sh- sh- sheep? What would what would one sheep cost currently, roughly? Just in a lamb. We say a lamb. A lamb. A lamb fit for the butcher is is something in the region of one hundred and forty euro this minute. Okay. So the butcher takes it in then, and the butcher sells it. So the butcher. a few butchers now, private butchers doing it anymore. Okay, so it goes to the factory. So the factory then get their cut, and then it goes to the shop, be it the butcher shop or the supermarket, That's and, right. and they get their cut, and then so you've got to distribute. So hang on a second now, just wait with me for one second. Uh-huh. You've got the farmer, and then you've got the purchaser, whoever that may be, and then you've got which will be the. Um, the purchaser would be the, would be the processor. So then you've got the processor. Then you've got the distributor. So you have, and uh, then you've got the supermarket uh, in there, or the or the butchers. And then you've got the customer. So you've got one, two, three, four. You've got five stages from yeah. conception yeah, to to putting it on the table. Yeah. Yeah, and and generally generally the way it has worked from from it works from the top down. So the customer uh, it pays the finished price. And everybody takes their slice all the way down, and the farmer gets what's left. That's pretty much the way it has happened. Now, the, the, um, so they work it backwards. You know, and that, yeah, that's the way it has been with most farming products always. You know. But if I but went, they, if, they, if I went to a butcher and said, "Can I have a full lamb, please, if you don't mind?" Um, I wouldn't get that for one hundred and forty euro. With all due respect. No, you would not. No. We're we're getting presently around six twenty kilo, uh, and and we'd say you'd have a twenty two or twenty three kilo carcass. Yeah, uh, um, and sure, there's very very little lamb bought at the, at the butcher shops now for less than twenty or twenty five euro a kilo. You know, but so you're, you're the issue is in, so you're getting six twenty uh, and it's been sold for twenty five euro a kilo and it's finished. Possibly up to twenty five euro kilos. Oh, they'll say, look at, I don't know, I'm not going to speak on behalf of the butchers now. You know, it's just... Oh, it's but they have to make a living as well. They have to put food on the table too. Yeah, 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 but like, we're keeping the lamb for eight, six, eight, ten months of the year, like, you know, and we have to keep their mother forever. And, 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 and you know, there's costs associated with them all the time, like, you know. Mm. Like, the lamb they buy is not eating that much, you know. Yeah. Um, okay, so t- uh, today's meeting then... In the Ordinary House Hotel, Stephen Canavan of the IFA uh, Sheep Farmers. So, uh, 8 o'clock, get there good and early. What speakers will you have? Oh, look, we have uh, Darren Carr today. We're going to talk about the cost, you know, and, and, and we're going to go through all that. Um, uh, sorry, there's no one available from the factory to, to meet with tonight, like, you know, and we have our own guys, and, and sure, they're all they're all well well up to speed with, with uh, all the issues regarding the sheep. Uh, the politicians are in Dublin. They're they're in the doll in the middle of the week, but that's unfortunate. But they they'll be very aware of of, of what comes out of the meeting tonight. Do you know um, the sheep that. improvements? The, the sheep improvement scheme. Like the minister, the minister has has said by this was all flagged to him last summer and before that we were heading down this road, and he he just chose to ignore it and and uh, he put twenty million of a sheep improvement scheme together, which 
it equates to about 12 euros per sheep. Um, if you take Charles' findings there in the last couple of weeks that came to light, that, that, that the profit margins of the income stream from, from sheep farming is as low as 7 euros a sheep. Like, the, the, it, it's, it's entirely unacceptable that they expect people yeah. to try and survive in that sort of money. And we're not, we're not, good. We're not asking for a fortune. We would certainly like the minister to engage and come out and discuss the the, the scheme with us and discuss the issues, um, and 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 you know, like we'd like to see where the improvement okay. aspect of the scheme is, and we'd like to, we'd like to look. We don't want a handout. We'd like a hand up, and we'd like a bit of guidance and a bit of understanding from the minister. Okay. Then we have the whole collapse in the in the wall, you know. Um, yeah. So that, that was a, a very important income stream in the past, like you know, and now it's a, it's a net liability to every sheep farmer. It's so, if they want to keep us in business, if they do, like someone is going to have to step up to the plate. I'm fairly smart now. All right, um, Stephen. Thanks for joining us uh, today. That's fight and talk. I have to say, they'll know. Uh, tomorrow what uh, came out of tonight's meeting Audrey House Hotel in June tonight 8 o'clock for further details and do so straight away don't forget if you want to nominate uh, that person that means the world to you uh, send your name uh, text love plus your name and the name of the person you want to nominate and do so to 086 38 with thanks to Rationale Windows we're back with news Galway Talks in association with Tesco find our award winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie